name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome back to worship together. The Lord Jesus has clearly told the apostles to go into the world to preach the gospel to every creature. But in their centuries-old Jewish way of thinking, the disciples thought that Jesus meant for them to go and preach to the Jews who were scattered all over the world. The thoughts of preaching the gospel to pagan Gentiles and of those Gentiles coming to salvation without first becoming Jewish uh, religious Jews was simply unthinkable. But last Sunday we learned that now the unthinkable had happened for Peter. He had wisely taken six Jewish believers with him to Cornelius' house and they had witnessed what God was doing. They all saw the Holy Spirit fall upon the Gentiles in just the same way that he had fallen upon the believing Jews on the day of Pentecost. But now Peter has gone back to Jerusalem and the Jewish believer there call him on the carpet because he went to the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. When we come to Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18, many tend to skip over these verses since they repeat the story of chapter 10. But we need to take notice but whenever scripture repeats something, there's an important lesson here that we might learn. Luke, the author of the book of Acts of the Apostle, was a Gentile. So Luke understood the dynamic that existed between Jews and Gentiles. He knew it was rarely an easy coexistence that sometimes deeply rooted and enormities will break out because of the hatred that, if not outright obvious, seethed just below the surface. The story Luke wrote in chapter 10 is obviously important to him. God is doing something new. And nothing illustrates it more effectively than this story. So Luke tells it and then tells it again. When Peter explained it to the church, church's leadership in Jerusalem, you will recall that he did the same thing with the story of Saul conversions to Christ. If it's born, it is important to Luke, he repeats it for emphasis, and that is what he did here. Our text show how God changed the thinking this Christian on a matter that was essential for the spread of the gospel. If the Gentiles had been required to adopt Jewish rituals and ceremonies to be saved, the gospel would not have spread around the Gentile world as it did. And it would be a different gospel. The Holy Spirit inspired Liu to include this story twice 
so that the Jewish believers especially we see the salvation is not a matter of adopting Jewish rituals, but rather of God saving people of every race through faith in Christ alone. But these Jewish Christians needed to change their thinking. The story shows how God began the process and how he worked so, uh, worked to change our thinking. To use today's terminology, a total paradigm shift. Now let's go into the text. Verses 1 to 3 tells us that the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles also had received the word of God. But when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. They are referring to Peter's visit to the house of Cornelius, which is described in chapter 10. There are two charges here. The first charge is going to uncircumcised men. As Peter acknowledged when he met with Cornelius, chapter 10 verse 28 says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. The second charge is Peter was not just a guest in a Gentile's house, but he ate with them. The food Peter would have eaten would have been the Gentile's own food, which was unlikely unclean too, sorry, which was likely unclean too. Now Peter must defend his actions to those in Jerusalem. Those who criticized Peter did not see what Peter had seen. They have not seen what God had shown him or all that God had done in his positioning and timing. These criticizers only heard in part, but they were quick to form a judgment. If you had not read chapter 10, which details, details how God worked to bring salvation in Jesus to a Gentile named Cornelius and his households, you too would have questions. You too may be quick to criticize. So Peter recounted from the beginning everything that had happened to him, relating particularly the vision he saw, that is verses 4 to 10. Further, Peter also explained that the Holy Spirit directed him to go to Cornelius' house, doubting nothing. Verses 11 to 12. When in Cornelius' house, Cornelius explained how he had seen an angel who instructed him to call for Peter to come to his house. Peter would come and tell Cornelius the words by which him and his household would be saved. That is verses 13 and 14. 
This is essentially the story of chapter 10, verses 1 to 33, retold with a couple of significant variations. One is that the original story did not mention six brothers. That is verse 12. These six brothers were witnesses to the things that Peter is reporting to the uncircumcised in Jerusalem. Another is that in the original story, Cornelius made no mention of himself and his entire household being saved. That is verse 14. Once Peter began preaching Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as it had upon the apostles at the beginning. Peter recalls the words of Jesus that were directed specifically to uh, the apostles, how they alone could be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now suddenly, while Peter was preaching, the same baptism of the Holy Spirit took place on Cornelius and his households. Peter emphasized what was received by Cornelius and his households by calling what took place the same gift. This likely described not only the way the Holy Spirit came upon them, but also the effect, which was the ability to speak in different languages. With all this taking place, Peter said to his opponent in verse 17, So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who am I to think that I could stand in God's way? The circumcised believers first respond with silence, a kind of silence that people require to process a profoundly new and profoundly significant insight. But as they got it, as the significance of Peter's story dawned on them, the silence quickly shifted to praise, saying in verse 18, So then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Note the wording, even the Gentiles, an expression uh, of incredulity. It is no wonder that they felt incredulous. Here in one fell soup, God has swept away the requirement that has stood for centuries which separated the Jew Gentiles. God has unbarred the door that locked Gentiles out throughout Jewish history. Most significantly, with Peter's vision and the acceptance of Gentiles into the church, God has prepared the way for the expansion of the gospel to the end of the earth. Before we proceed, a comment on chapter 11 in the context of the book of Acts will be helpful. We are in the midst 
of a leadership transition from Peter to Paul, which we mentioned before. A leadership transition that mirrors the transition from a Jewish church to a Jewish Gentile church. Peter was the most prominent apostle in the first part of the book of Acts. But Saul's conversion in chapter 9 signaled the beginning of a new era. Follow with chapter 10 tells the story of the vision that opens Peter's mind to the inclusion of Gentiles in the church and of Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit and being baptized. Then chapter 11 tells of Peter defending his association with Gentiles to the Jerusalem church. Chapter 12 will tell of Peter being imprisoned by Herod and released from prison by an angel, which we will see next Sunday. Beginning with chapter 13, Saul, or Paul, the great missionary to the Gentiles, takes the lead among the apostles. And we will hear only once more from Peter. That is chapter 15, verses 7 to 11. Now back to Acts chapter 11, the next section, which is verses 19 to 30, the church in Antioch. Now, Stephen is mentioned yet again in the beginning of this new section to remind us that whatever God begins in Jesus Christ, God will complete in him. Stephen was murdered because of his testimony about Jesus. But his murder was not in vain. The persecution that arose because of Stephen became a mission's sending force. Because as the people scattered, they scattered the word of God wherever they went. This persecution was a way of God mobilizing his people and thereby mobilizing the gospel. By this time, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. That's verse 19. Note that the ones mentioned here were not apostles or missionaries or evangelists. Here we see rank and farm believers doing all the witnessing. These were ordinary Christians whose names are not even mentioned here. But they did not forget to witness for Christ. Even as they fled away from persecution in Jerusalem and made new homes for their families in Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, they bothered to communicate the gospel to their new neighbors and new friends. And with the people they met in their day, Today, life. In our text, we see Christians doing that when they migrated to Antioch. Now, because these Christians were Jews, it was quite natural for them to come into contact with their own people, the Jews in Antioch. And as they interacted with them, 
they shared the gospel with them. There was a large Jewish population in Antioch. And so many Jews believed in Christ and were saved. But their weakness was limited only to Jews. But then some Christian Jews from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and they began to speak to Greek also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. That is verse 20. The Gentiles being rich here are most likely Gentiles who already have an interest in Judaism, for they would be more likely to have social contacts with these traveling Jews. They no longer confine their weakness in only to Jews. You may remember that just before this account, that's in chapter 10, God had given the apostle Peter a strange vision about clean and unclean animals to show him that the door of the of weakness to Gentiles was open. This was followed by the salvation of Cornelius and his Gentile family. Well, the news of this new development properly reached the ears of all believers, including those who were at Antioch. Some of them were from Greek-speaking areas like Cyprus and Cyrene, Hence, they could speak Greek very fluently. Because of the cosmopolitan character of Antioch, these believers soon came into contact with many Greek-speaking people of other ethnic groups. That's mean of the uh, sorry. That's the meaning of the term Greeks in this verse. And as they began to speak to them about Christ, the wonderful result was the many Gentiles were saved. So now there was a large group of new believers which comprised of both Jews and Greeks uh, and Gentiles. From all this, a new church was planted in Antioch a multi-ethnic church with a very cosmopolitan character. Luke tells us that the Lord's hand was with them as they preached. And as a result, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's verse 21. It isn't long before the church at Jerusalem heard about a large number of Gentiles converts in Antioch. The news was a bit disconcerting to the disciples at Jerusalem. They did not know what to do about this movement of the Holy Spirit, since they were themselves Jews raised in the tradition that they were God's chosen people. You can imagine what happened. They never thought that God would move to reach the Gentiles' world, and so they hardly knew what to make of it. When word came to them that Gentiles were becoming converts of Jesus Christ, 
they were utterly astounded were these real christians was it possible that gentiles could actually come to christ just as a jew could these thoughts came to their minds they decided to dispatch a delegation to check on the situation to settle the issues as they did in the case of Samaritan i'm sure you can remember conversion that is in chapter 8 the man chosen to represent Jerusalem in Antioch was Barnabas one a great choice they make Barnabas is a great individual he had one of the greatest hearts recorded in all of the new testament he was a greek speaking jew having come from cyprus himself so he could identify with those from cyprus and cyrene who did the preaching there here there when barnabas arrived at antioch he was glad at what he saw verse 23 he rejoiced and he encouraged them all to remain true to the lord with all their hearts and verse 24 tells us that a great number of people were brought to the lord the extent of barnabas's ministry is expanding so rapidly that he needs a co-worker barnabas was convinced that paul would be the perfect choice to help evangelize antioch and nurture the new converts so he went to tarsus looking for paul and he found him in verse 25 the two of them returned to antioch and taught a large number of people for a full year what make barnabas think of getting paul to teach i think it had something to do with paul's background in his youth paul had received the best theological training from a jewish rabbi named gamaliel he was one of the greatest teachers in the annals of judaism and it is believed that paul was his star student but before he was safe all his knowledge have only make paul a proud pharisees who persecuted christians it was only after christ stopped him in his track on the road to damascus that his eyes were open to understand the scriptures now paul could see how the old testament promises and prophecies were fulfilled by jesus He became very skillful in using the scriptures to prove that Jesus is truly the Messiah of Israel. What Paul wrote in his epistles show us how well he could teach God's word. And so when Paul was brought to Antioch by Barnabas, the new church was fully nourished with the word through his teaching. they grew into full christian maturity as they were fed for one whole year they became so fully identified with christ 
that the people of Antioch became to call them Christians, meaning those belonging to Christ or Christ's people, because their way of life was so obviously representative of being followers of Jesus. Verse 26. It was a term of slander, but yet it stuck. It became so popular that the apostle began calling others Christians. Verse 27 tells us that at this time, some of the prophets in Jerusalem came to Antioch. One of the prophets named Archibald stood up and through the Holy Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The scriptures gave us a historical marker telling us this famine took place during the reign of Claudius Caesar, verse 28. Claudius was emperor of Rome from 41 to 54 AD. It is this marker that helps us know that we are about 10 years removed from the events of Acts chapter 2. When the church of Antioch heard the prophecy about the coming famine, they immediately responded by establishing a relief fund and gathered their resources in order to help those who were in Judea before the famine even hit. Verse 29. Once the relief fund was collected, Barnabas and Paul carried it to the elders in Jerusalem for disposition. That's the end of our chapter, verse 30. Their ministry was a game changer. The Antioch church was caring for another group of believers who not only culturally different from them, but their ethnic city and geographic location were also not even close to them. And it was probably really humbling for those Jewish believers to get aid and support from the Gentiles. But isn't that beautiful demonstrations of God's love and unity in Christ. That both churches belong to Jesus and that in Christ we are brothers and sisters. And now we get to experience the joy of serving one another. The give sent back to Jerusalem help their fellow believers in their struggle for food thus further tear down the wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles. Praise the Lord. Now let's summarize a lesson we've learned from Acts chapter 11. First, pride and prejudice. Peter had seen this remarkable response as a whole house full of Gentiles had believed in Christ and were saved. But rather than rejoicing over that God had done, the believers in Jerusalem were grumbling about the matter of Peter's eating 
with Gentiles. These Jewish Christians were more concerned about Peter violating Jewish tradition than they were happy about the Gentiles getting saved. But before we try to remove the mold in their eyes, that deals with the beam in our own eyes. We often do the same thing. We elevate certain traditions and ways of doing things above the salvation of lost souls. We are all for seeing young people getting saved, but they had better make sure that they not delay in looking and acting like those who have been in the church for the 50 years. In any of your culture, if any of your cultural baggage, and including your spiritual culture, is getting in the way of your enthusiastic commitment to reaching people from different culture with the gospel, then drop the baggage. Our main focus should be the salvation of lost people to the glory of God. If you see someone come into church who is not your kind of person and you don't go out of your way to make that person feel welcome, your heart is in the wrong place. Second, witnessing. Witnessing is the responsibility of every believer, not just for those who are in full-time ministry. Too many Christians today excuse themselves from witnessing and make no effort at all to win anyone to Christ, even those who are closest to them. They leave all the work of soul winning to pastors, evangelists, and missionaries. Please listen to this. There are many places that are inaccessible to us, but they are easily accessible to you. Most of you spend six to eight hours a day in your place of work or study, five days a week. You have the most contact with the people there, as well as the best opportunities to reach out to them with the gospel. If you believe that nothing happened by chance and that God had placed you there for a purpose, will you then trust him? to help you to lead some souls to Christ. Thirdly, lastly, a world mission church. We can see that the Antioch church was well fitted to be a world mission church. Their teachings were centered on the word of God and on prayer. Men and women were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were culturally diverse and had teachers who understood this diversity. They were willing to travel wherever God needed them and they had a spirit of sacrifice especially for their brothers. All of these were a good spiritual foundation where world mission could begin 
and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ could be spread. They were a small church, but God used it mightily. Thus a world mission church was born. May God bless us with this same spirit of world mission that was in the early church, so that we too may have renewed spiritual desire to love and serve others with the gospel message until the gospel can spread from us to all peoples and all nations of the world, beginning with you and me. Amen. May the Lord bless you.